Pastor Moody will be teaching today on Esther, chapters 8 and 10, and I'm going to read just a portion beginning at chapter 9, verse 20. Again, we're at Esther, chapter 9, verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday." that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast poor, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term poor. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written, and at the time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, in every clan, province, and, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants." Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai the Jew gave full written authority, confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews, and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. This is God's word. You may be seated. As we come now to God's word, let's bow our heads in prayer together. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you uh, that we can meet this way. Um, We know, Lord, that we much rather all be together, but we're so thankful that we can meet um, through multiple services this morning, for this morning, and through um, the technology of um, the internet as well. We continue to pray, Lord, that uh, you would give us as a church wisdom about these matters and 
Just bring us all back together again uh, before too long, we pray. But we're grateful that we can meet like this. And we ask, Lord, that we make the most of the opportunity. Give us ears to hear, hearts to believe. Uh, Lord, uh, transform us by your spirit through your word. And help us, Lord, to take then that word to others around, uh, to this world so desperately in need of the gospel of good news. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I think this is the, the first day that it's been above zero Fahrenheit for a while, so that's good news, right? Wonderful. Things are warming up. We had a beautiful daddy, uh, baby dedication at the 8 o'clock service, and um, a lot of uh, uh, fun things are going on. And this uh, passage, um, particularly this morning, is about that sort of emotion, that sort of, well, feast, really. It's a feast. Uh, of course, the Feast of Purim. And I, I was thinking uh, this week how to generate the right kind of um, feeling in, in us this morning as we come to this feast. That we could have the idea, not just clear in our minds, but, but the, effect, the feeling, the affection of it. And um, I, 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 was, I went into my office and was thinking about this and praying about it a little bit. And, and I noticed that on my shelf there, there was a, a baseball cap. And the baseball cap had been given actually to all their staff back in 2016. And it had a particular memorial in it. You may remember what happened in 2016 if you're a Cubs fan. Yeah, well, <laughs> we get an amen. <laughs> um, and the, you know, the world change of 2016, it was a feast. I mean, I suppose maybe if you're not a White Sox fan, there wasn't, but otherwise, there was a feast. Oh, Chicago, I was like, yeah, we have uh, defeated uh, the curse of the goat, whatever that means. That's the sort of thing here. It's a, it's a feast. It's a feast. When people fast, we feast. It's, it's one of the hallmarks of biblical Christianity. Joy. Feasting. When we are in jail, we sing. When we suffer, we rejoice. Feasting. It's a hallmark of real Christianity. Of course, there is a place for fasting. Jesus said that uh, his disciples, uh, after he had gone, would fast. Uh, I, I've fasted many times in my life. There's a place for fasting. There is a place even for lament in, in the Bible. There's a book called Lamentations. There's a place for these things. But a hallmark of real Christianity is feasting. Every person on the face of the globe, lives with the shadow of the grave. We all do. But a real Christian lives 
with the light of the empty tomb. The dawn of a new day. And so when people fast, we feast. And actually, this feast of Purim uh, takes place uh, this coming Thursday in the Jewish calendar, February the 25th. When we are in jail, we sing. When we suffer, we rejoice. Because we are people of the resurrection. We're people of the empty tomb. And so this, this, that's the feeling, this, this feast. That's the feeling of this passage. And so to, to help, help us get this, there, in the message this morning, there, there, are, there are two elements of this that fuel this feasting, a celebration and then honor. And together they, they light, a, uh, light, a, light a fire of feasting, if you like. So first of all, Celebration. And uh, this is basically described from verse 20 uh, through to verse 32. But the amazing thing about this is that this celebration, and it, it is quite extraordinary, as I say, a hallmark of biblical Christianity is feasting. This, this feasting is obligated. Verse 21, obliging them. It's an obligation. They must feast. Or uh, verse 27, they obligated themselves. They're obliged to feast. And then uh, verse 31, they were obligated as they had obligated themselves about uh, the, the, the fasts in the Bible too. But they're obligating themselves to feast because that is a hallmark of, of real faith. It, it's often struck me as extraordinary that in church tradition, we have fixed in the calendar various fasts. But how often do we remember to feast? And yet, they oblige themselves to fuel that feasting with a celebration. Well, why? Well, this too is, I think, quite extraordinary. The reason why is because of this uh, poor or pure. No one really knows how to translate, uh, how to pronounce this word because it's a, a Persian word and a dead language. And, uh, but let's, uh, poor or pure, let's just pick pure for this morning. So verse 24, why are they celebrating? Well, because Haman the Agagite, the son of, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast uh, pur or pure, that is cast lots to crush and to destroy them. So the word pure means lots or luck. And what Haman had done is when he decided to kill all the Jews, he then figured out that in order to make it most likely to happen, he would consult fate. He would cast lots for the day on which he was going to do it. Um, he, he threw dice. And if it was a one, it was going to be on the first day of the week. A six, a six day. That sort of thing. He consulted the, the astrological signs. And the stars aligned for this day. 
he cast pure. <laughs> it's fated, Jews. The stars determine that you are over. Pure. It's what the cards say. It's what the stars say. It's what the dice says. It's luck and it's against you. What's amazing then is that the feast is called Purim. So verse 26, therefore they call these days Purim after the term pure. In other words, what the Jewish people are saying is not so lucky now. Not so lucky now. It will be like, say, uh, at work. You're at work, and your immediate supervisor, your boss, uh, takes a dislike to you for some unfair reason. And the relationship fails to such an extent uh, that um, he decides he's going to fire you for no good cause. And what is more, having decided he's going to fire you, he picks the date on which he's going to fire you based upon the card that he pulls from a, um, a deck of cards. And he uh, pulls out an ace, and in his mind, aces are low. And so on the first day of the week, he's going to fire you. But your supervisor's supervisor, your boss's boss, discovers this, is outraged, and instead fires your immediate supervisor instead of your supervisor firing you. And so what do you do? <laughs> what you do, this is the analogy, what you do is you gather all your friends together. You have a great big feast. On that first day of the week, of the month, and you have put up everywhere around your house blown up pictures of the, the ace. And you say to everyone, we aced him. And what is more, you have a picture of Roger Federer, you know, the, the Swiss player serving an ace. Aced him. That's what they're saying. Pure, purim. There's a rather rude phrase in English, English for it that is not outrageously rude, but it's a little bit rude. I won't say the whole thing in case it offends someone, but it, it's this, I'll say a little bit that I don't think will offend anyone, but there's a phrase for it which, which begins like this. It says, yabu, which means, pah. <laughs> My aunt actually had a phrase for it. She used to say, good riddance to bad rubbish. East him. It's an extraordinary thing they're doing. It'd be, it'd be a bit like if you were in your own home and some criminal broke in with a gun and was about to threaten your life. You managed to click on your phone to call 911 and as the criminal was pointing his gun at you and said, not your lucky day, is it? The police came in and grabbed him and after they grabbed him, the police said to him, you didn't get lucky after all, did you? To the guy who they had arrested. Because there is no such thing as luck. Because God is in charge. Even when he doesn't seem to be. 
pure, purim. And therefore, celebrate. And therefore, feast. It's a hallmark of biblical Christianity. Feasting, joy. This is why C.S. Lewis when he was describing in his autobiography of how he became a Christian, called it surprised by joy. He he looked everywhere else, but actually in Christianity. Because we live not under the shadow of the grave, but in the light of the new dawn of the resurrection of the Christ. COVID, you've lost. You've lost. Death, where is your victory? You've lost. Pure Purim. Feast, celebrate. You know, I'm, I'm a great fan of the Puritans. I've read the, uh, a lot of the 17th century British Puritans with their voluminous writings. I, I, I love them. They're deeply profound. I've read quite a lot of the 18th century New England uh, Puritans as well. I, uh, the the latter-day Puritans like Spurgeon. And of course, in many ways, my theology is a Puritan theology. Uh, there are Puritans still around today. The Puritans are frequently misunderstood as being puritanical, dour, the sort of you know, big hat with a buckle kind of caricature. Now, that's not the case at all. D- did you know that it was a Puritan who invented bottled beer? That's not what you read about at school, is it? And Spurgeon, who sometimes is called the last of the great Puritans, though, as I say, there are many Puritans still around today. They just don't use that word because it's got such bad PR. But uh, Spurgeon uh, used to love to make people laugh in his sermons, not in a ridiculous kind of silly way, but, but feasting kind of way. Joy kind of way. And he was often criticized for the laughter that was in the sermons that he preached. And one time after he preached a sermon when there was a lot of laughter, a woman came up to him afterwards and said, you know, Mr. Spurgeon, you're making people laugh far too much. You, you, you shouldn't use so much laughter in your sermons. And Spurgeon looked at her and said, if you only knew how much I restrain myself. There's a celebration. There's a feast. And do you feel like luck is against you? You feel like it's been your worst year ever? You feel like the stars are against you? You feel like pure is against you? Purim! Not so lucky now. Celebrate. He's risen. And in the light of that we live. But there's another element here that fuels this feasting. And that is uh, not only celebration, but also honor. And it's in the the last few verses of the passage we had read out, um, chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. Now, when I was thinking about this a lot this week, I... uh, See, what you don't want to do when you preach a sermon, here's a tip for those of us who are wanting to be preachers who are preachers. What you don't want to do is to have two different main themes. Because... Or certainly not more than that, because the the person who's listening goes away and goes, well, what was the message then? Was it this or was it this? So celebration and honor. Is that two different messages kind of jumped into one? And so I was wrestling with that. But then I realized that the overall thing is feasting. And what fuels it is celebration, but also honor. Because you see, what's a feast without someone to honor? 
what's a birthday party without a birthday uh, uh, the person whose day of birth we're celebrating what is that what's a retirement party if the person we're, we're honoring doesn't, uh, who's retiring doesn't even show up what is, it's nothing is it and here there's honor and it fuels the, uh, the feasting along with the celebration. The person who's honored is uh, Mordecai. And he's not just honored a little bit. He, the, the full account, verse 2, of the high honor of Mordecai. Now we wrestle with this. Uh, obviously we should be honoring God most of all. And we wrestle with the idea of honoring people. Especially these days where there's been so much scandal among leaders so much scandal among celebrities. We wrestle with the idea of giving any person honor. It seems wrong to us. It's, maybe we can honor the position, we say to ourselves, but not the person anymore. But you see, that is actually, this honor is the antidote to that kind of celebrity culture. Because now you're honoring the right people for the right things, the right person for the right things. You see, look, look at why Mordecai is honored. Uh, this, it, we're told explicitly, verse 3. Why is he honored? For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace uh, that word peace there is the well-known Hebrew word shalom. So it's not peace as in absence of war. Shalom means wholeness, uh, health, healing, um, flourishing, blessing. So he spoke shalom to all his people. Welfare, the, the prosperity, financially, economically, uh, relationally, spiritually. The welfare of his people and the peace to all his people. In other words, why was Mordecai honored? Because he was seeking the welfare and peace of other people. What is not honorable is to seek your own honor. And that's what's wrong with all the celebrity culture thing. We are not to honor people who seek their own honor, for to seek your own honor is not honorable. But Mordecai is honored because he sought the good of other people, and in particular, the good of God's people. And the people, therefore, that we are to honor are those who seek the good of God's people, a.k.a., otherwise known as, the church. Those people we are to honor. The people who give their lives. The missionary who is by no means a celebrity. But gives his or her life for the sake of the good of God's people. We are to honor such as that. The Bible says honor those who deserve honor. That's the kind of person we're to. The, the, the person who gets up early on a Sunday morning and uh, shovels the sidewalk outside the church. No one notices, but we should. 
That person should be honored. The person who has constructed their whole life, all their talents, all their time, all their treasure around the good of God's people, that person is to be honored. The solution to the celebrity culture thing is not never honoring anyone, it's honoring the right people. You know, I've been uh, thinking through all the, the, the scandals and things like that that's been going on in recent weeks, months, years in the sort of celebrity realm, and wondering what it is that God is doing. And it occurs to me, you see, we, we think that the scandals are only in the religious world. But no, they're also in the business world and in the entertainment world and in the political world. You see, what, what I think God is doing is he's revealing things. In fact, Jesus uh, told us this would happen. He said, what you have whispered in the inner room will be shouted from the rooftops. Of course, that's finally about the day of judgment. But I think God now is revealing things. And the answer to that is to honor. And Mordecai's not a perfect person <laughs> by any means. He, it, the, the book of Esther that, as we've mentioned a few times throughout this series, never even mentions the name of God. Uh, the, the, it, it's so that we would hear the name of God when we read the book of Esther. But it may also be that people like Mordecai, who had been so long in exile, had become less spiritual. And Mordecai's having to get into all that again, you may find that for yourself. It's like, how do I get back into God? How do I get back into church? It's not that he's, he's a perfect person, but he's honored because his life is about the good of God's church. And actually, if we're really honest with ourselves, one of the reasons why you find it hard to honor even people like this it's because we wish we were honored. And so this honoring those who deserve honor is a tool in God's toolbox to defeat selfishness. And if you want to be honored, seek the good of the church. And then you'll deserve honor. And now the birthday party, the retirement party, has someone to honor. And the celebration becomes a feast. Now you say to me, like, okay, but I, I cannot get into that. It's been too hard a year. It seems like the stars are against us. It seems like fate is against us. This COVID thing has left me really down. I, it's just been too difficult a year for me to feast. It depends how you look at things. We've had a lot of snow recently in the Chicago area. And... The other day I went outside and uh, we got a um, black piece of paper and just held it while it was snowing. I let the snowflakes fall on it. And the first time in my life, I actually looked at a snowflake 
standing on its end on that black piece of paper. I'm so beautiful. So beautiful. It depends how you look at things. You say, well, okay, but there's, there's been... We're living, Pastor, in a time when people are attacking me for my faith. They're attacking us for our Christianity. There are people who are against us. You know, you know what's wrong with conspiracy theories? They're not big enough. Nowhere near. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The question of the psalm is not, do the nations rage and do the peoples plot? That's assumed. Why? Because we're all rebels against God. We're all plotting against God. The question is not, do the nations rage or do the peoples plot? Of course they do. Haven't you read the Bible? The question is, why do they bother? Why do the nations rage? Why do the people's plot in vain? Because the one enthroned in heaven, he loves. For God is in charge, even when he doesn't seem to be. And for every pure, as a purim. And if it's true that our Puritanism can become puritanical, then maybe we should put in our Puritanism a bit of purimism. Feasting. Celebration. And honor. For we are the people who live in the light of the resurrection of Christ. And God is in charge even when he doesn't seem to be. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do thank you that in Christ we are obligated to feast. And I pray, Lord, that each of us this morning would leave today with a sense of celebration and honor. And we thank you, Lord, that you are in charge even when you don't seem to be. And therefore, Lord, let us rejoice and sing, celebrate and honor and feast. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.